Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. I'm John Horner Eibler, your host this week, and we've got a special edition of Belief Beat. This week, we're recording the March 21st Adult Forum at Unity Lutheran Church, and our topic today is all things education, and we're really fortunate to have four professional educators from our congregation. We're just going to share some of their experiences over this past year good, bad, everything in between, um, both as educators and in uh, the case of several of them, uh, their experience as well as parents in the midst of all of this. So it's really good for me to be able to welcome, uh, in no particular order, Caitlin Capitan, Julie Petzl, uh, Sarah Rogan, and Nicole McCumber. Uh, welcome to each of you, and I'm glad you're a part of this conversation. Uh, if you're listening to this in podcast form, we also have other people from the congregation who are joining this as a Zoom call. They might ask some questions as a part of this conversation as well. Uh, you'll be listening to it uh, recorded, uh, but hopefully some of the questions that we touch on will be ones that uh, would have been ones you would have asked and get at some things that are important to all of us. So with that as kind of a, a background point, I'm going to go to Caitlin first, and for each of the four, I think the place to start is just who are you, where do you teach, what grade level do you teach, and, and kind of what mix of virtual, in-person hybrid have you dealt with in the last 12 months? Caitlin, if you forget any of that, I'll remind you of it as you go along, but why don't you, why don't you take a stab at that and get started? All right, so like John said, my name is Caitlin Capitan. I am a high school teacher. I teach for Kettle Moraine High School Science Department, so chemistry, biology, AP Bio, you name it. I've got freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, so wow. the whole mix. Yeah, and we have a hybrid mix, so I have students who are face-to-face. -face. I also have students who are virtual joining class on their computers. Okay, good. So you covered it all, Caitlin. Very succinct. Awesome. Uh, Julie, how about you? Hi, um, I'm Julie Petzl. I teach in the Menominee Falls School District. I am science as well. Um, I teach biology, physical science. I also teach Project Lead the Way Medical Detectives. So I have seventh and eighth graders. Um, a year ago, I was 100% virtual. In the fall, I was hybrid. And as of January 23rd, I am full in person. So I have been through all three right now in the last year. Wow, that, that's amazing. What, what a journey to be on. Uh, Sarah, how about you? Um, my name is Sarah Rogan. I primarily teach fourth grade. Um, this year, I am not in the classroom. I chose to stay home with my 10-month-old, um, but I'm still highly involved in my school, in my community. Um, last year, our classes were completely online. Um, this year, it is pretty much by parent choice. Um, most grade levels within our building, I taught for um, the school district of New Berlin. Um, uh, each grade level has um, one primarily classroom for virtual learning and then there's two to three sections at least if not more um, we have some pretty large grade levels actually in new berlin that um are in person sounds good and nicole i work at burleigh elementary in the elmbrook school district um my girls are in that district as well so obviously a year ago we were virtual 
And then in the fall, parents had the choice to choose all virtual or in-person. So we all went back in-person. And then I think there's, our school district is large as well. I think there's one virtual class per grade. And then each quarter they can kind of choose if they want to come back. So for fourth quarter, I think there's going to be hardly any virtual and almost everyone will be in person. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Nicole, as long as you're talking, how about uh, kind of starting us down our, our, our list of, of topics, which is uh, talk a little bit about both your, your own kids and the kids you teach. Tell us about how they're doing socially. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely for my girls, I have an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. Um, the social aspect, of course, especially in the beginning, was very hard. Um, just not understanding why they couldn't see their friends or have birthday parties or just kind of do any of those things that are kind of at the center of their life right now, just wanting to be with their friends. And then, of course, for my students, they're four and they don't, you know, they don't really understand a whole lot of anything about this. So just trying to explain any of this to them has been very, very challenging and them just not understanding why they can't bring in a birthday treat or just, you know, we try to downplay talking about play dates because some parents are okay with play dates and some parents are not. And, you know, and that's okay, but that's not something we want to, you know, get into at school and just, and same with my girls not understanding why some of their friends, you know, are doing all these things socially and then maybe where people are on the other end of the spectrum and everything in between has been really, really hard to navigate as a teacher and as a, as a parent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, have you seen that evolve as time has gone by? Like it's gotten even harder or they've adapted and uh, started to adjust to it? Um, you know, I think it's gotten easier, especially now that it's nice out because then, you know, we're like, okay, you can have your friends over and you guys can play outside and then the neighbor kids are outside and then kind of things like that. But it's also gotten harder because we're still in the midst of the pandemic and I feel like as parents none of us kind of really know what we're supposed to be doing and then we don't want to do the wrong thing and then I don't want to do the wrong thing as a teacher because I need to set an example and it's actually really challenging because I live in the community where I work so I'm always like you know if, if I'm doing the wrong thing and then I go back to work and say this to a, a student or a parent you know I need to practice what I'm preaching so it's still it's still pretty challenging right yeah. now. Hey, Julie, how about you? You've got kids on kind of the other end of the age spectrum, older, and you're teaching kind of that middle school age group. What's been your experience of kind of their social situation? So I have an 18-year-old son who is autistic, and he is also in my school district. I live in my community as well. So I think for him, this has been one of the hardest things he's ever dealt with because when you're autistic, like the whole social thing is already difficult. And now when you add a pandemic on top of it, he had been quarantined three times because of close contact at school and trying to explain to him that he's stuck home for 14 days, but I was still teaching. So then you have safety involved because here I'm at school and he's home alone and I've never left him home alone. Then my daughter, yeah, she's a junior up at Madison and like, She's lived in her apartment now pretty much nonstop. She never gets to leave except to go to work. Um, my students, I have seen them get better and happier as they've come back. I can see that 
they seem to be, I mean, a lot of great discussions I've had with middle schoolers. So you're talking 11 and 12 year olds. I mean, they, they understand what a virus is. They understand some of the science that's going on because we talk about it, but it's also, they still time struggle with like, why, when are things going to get better? And if like, they're knowing like their teachers are getting vaccinated, well, why do you still have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated? And I mean, some of these questions are really hard for them to understand. And also some of those social situations, how to behave in them. I mean, I do think things are picking up, but we are gonna have a lot of mental health work, I think, to do from all of this, especially with middle school students. I've seen the largest, I've never seen mental health needs like I have this year. So I am working with Rogers Hospital, Elmbrook Hospital, Community Memorial, Children's. I have never worked with so many medical professionals right now to help in the mental state Students, which I think is one of the most important things people maybe are missing and it's it's become a partnership that's new to me even though I've taught 23 years I've never had this kind of partnership before and I'm glad to be a part of it but it's a lot for me to learn right right yeah a lot added on to onto a lot um, I, I think a lot of the experience has related to technology uh, again both good bad and otherwise some of it may be a real enhancement, other parts of it a real failure. Uh, Caitlin, you wanna to talk to that a little bit? Um, what, what part of the technology equation have, have you worked with and how has that gone? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, I do have students who are in my classroom at the same time that I have students who are attending class virtually. And at our district, we don't require students to have their cameras on for a ton of reasons. One of them being that some students may have a home life that they don't feel comfortable with showing on a video camera. And I think there's, for a lot of educators, that's been a learning curve because I have students that I have every day in class, but it's, you know, it's just a black box that I see. So I've never actually seen what they look like. And Another thing with being in the high school is that students are building their resume for what they're going to be doing after they graduate high school. And so one of the things that I've been dealing with is when those virtual students who, again, I have never seen their face, I communicate with them sometimes verbally, sometimes in a, the chat box, is that they're asking for letters of recommendation. They're wanting you know, educators to talk about their character and how they are as students, which is important when you're trying to do something after high school, but it's hard to talk about someone's character when you've only communicated via chat box and you've never met one another in person. And so I think that that has been a learning curve with the technology is just not requiring a camera on when my face-to-face -face learners are there present, I can see them, I can talk to them, I can read their reactions and who they are and their character. That's been something that's been very difficult for me. I, I was gonna say, I would have been able to hear what you were saying, but not understand it until I did confirmation this last week, Caitlin, in a hybrid fashion. And uh, yeah, the, the, the disconnect between what you're doing in person and what you're doing on the camera uh, was was striking. I feel a good challenge, but <laughs> really striking. Uh, like really two different experiences. Sarah, how about you with, uh, uh, you know, last spring you would have been all virtual. Uh, what would, tell us a little bit about your experience. 
um, experiencing COVID in general or technology? Uh, with the technology. Um, so technology is a really great thing. So my district decided that uh, the majority of our learning is happening over um, Google products. And so using Google Meets or Google Hangouts. Um, and then um, a lot of our staff members um, had the choice between using um, something like Google Classroom, if you've heard of that, uh, while others were using um, other similar platforms. Um, but I know that was very frustrating for parents, especially early off, that um, each grade level team or even the individual classroom teacher um, was um, deciding how materials were going to be displayed to their students or even turned in. Um, and then there's the added difficulty of um, how do you um, grade that work? Because you're not having that same face-to-face -face time with those students and you can't assess as you go as easily um, how that learning is going until they turn in an assignment. And if that student actually turns in that work, um, and I know one of my key difficulties um, last spring was that students would say they turned things in when they actually didn't. Um, and then um, do you email that family? Do you call that family? Um, do you just let it go? And um, like there's a lot of different layers to that issue. Um, otherwise, um, it was exciting to um, experience classrooms in a whole new way. And so it was at least fun for me from my perspective to really dig into what digital um, uh, virtual field trips or other activities you can actually do that you probably wouldn't get to in the classroom face-to-face -face, um, just because uh, we were forced into a unique situation and um, it kind of opened up a whole new opportunity for um, how learning can look. Caitlin, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to add to, so again, with having face-to-face -face learners and virtual learners, how difficult it has been to integrate those students together because students who are in the classroom are put into cohorts and a cohort is usually a group of two to four students. So in the event that a student tests positive, then contact tracing is easier. So in, in the classroom, they're in a group, they're socializing, they're working together, they're able to collaborate with one another. So being able to integrate those students who are on the computer with the students who are face-to-face -face has been super difficult. And the other thing too is that, like I mentioned, if contract tracing happens, sometimes those face-to-face -face students are forced to switch to virtual for 10 days, 14 days where they're quarantined. And I would say it's been a unanimous thing that students have come back from a quarantine saying it's easier to learn in the classroom if they are a face-to-face -face learner than you know, switching back and forth and being on the computer. And so I think even for our students, there's been difficulty with technology having to switch back and forth and like learn a different way in the matter of seconds if they're quarantined. Keep adding to it, Julie. And one thing I guess I was pretty happy with is our district was one-to-one -one before this whole thing started. 
So for our students, they were already learning using their technology. I mean, they, we weren't doing like Google Meets until this all started, but at least we were already, we had a platform that we've been using for about five years already. A school, we, we use Schoology is our platform. So at least people were already seeing it. Kids were already using their one-to-one -one devices. As teachers, some of us were learning how to do digital tests and digital assignments. And so it wasn't like a complete flip for some of us. Um, I'm kind of the technology coordinator. Like one of the hard things like is in science is science is hands-on. And so was Project Lead the Way. And just have these, when I was having kids virtually at home, trying to match with my students in the room, doing labs, I had like 10 Google Meets going so they could watch these guys doing the lab. And I do A and B flip days, which was doubling my length of my curriculum. How do I get it all in? Having kids at home, I was finding digital lab products, like the cost, because we had to now buy subscriptions to digital products so my students at home could do a lab that was digital versus my kids in the classroom doing it hands-on. I mean, all of these things that weren't thought about, even though I think our district was very prepared, they weren't prepared because these were all new things like the science department, especially we were really socked because that's what makes science cool is the fact that we do all this hands-on stuff. And I know my high school department didn't do a lab this year. They bought a virtual project where they're watching videos and they're, like they're like they're getting the data from the videos and stuff. And at middle school, we are doing labs every day. So yeah. even the differences between the middle school staff and the high school staff of how to make sure kids are getting these experiences. Like I can't imagine doing AP biology without labs. Like I just, I'm, I'm floored. So like, I think that's also an interesting thing when you think about technology is how much districts have had to purchase and how much teachers have had to learn and how much families have had to take on also with technology. So it's a learning curve that has looked like a roller coaster at Six Flags. I mean, we're, we're starting to finally get there, but I mean, it's been a lot. Hey, Sarah, you want to talk a little bit about, I mean, uh, we're already kind of diving into this, but uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, impact on parents that you've observed. Uh, you know, in, in some schools, parents are real involved in what's going on in the school. Sorry, Others, not I so much. I hear you. Could you please Whoa. I just set off <laughs> here. I just activated Siri right there. Oops. <laughs> Siri didn't understand the question. I'll rephrase it. Uh, anyhow, um, just in a totally different environment in terms of parental involvement, uh, I'm sure lots of anxiety, maybe every once in a while some achievements. What have you experienced on that? So parent involvement has been interesting. So um, I would say in the very beginning of the pandemic and coming out with um, how classes were going to be run in a completely digital format um, early on um, was, like I said before, really frustrating for, I think, the majority of my families. Because um, not only did you have this child that you're used to sending to school, and so, um, and then a lot of my families were working families, and so they have their own nine to five, but now you need to manage your child's coursework along with your own. Um, while you're working from home. And so that provides its own challenge. Um, families um, now, um, I think there's still a certain level of um, feeling uncomfortable um, from the families that I have heard from. 
because um, they're uncertain um, exactly how they should be supporting a, a virtual classroom, if that's what they chose for this year or the semester, um, whatever was best for their family at that time. Um, I know from my perspective, being a young parent um, with a 10 month old and a lot of my friends are young families. Um, it's hard because we feel like we're not giving our children, um, our young ones, infants, um, that social aspect that they need. And so I have young families that um, I'm pretty close with and they have a two year old, for example, in one family and they're like, oh my gosh, my child, she doesn't know how to interact. You know, I'm, I'm so concerned about her mental health because I'm not socially giving her those same interactions as I would normally, or there's not a play group for her to be in. And like, that's different than other families that have had those opportunities to get their child out there and to really socialize or go to the store and just experience what normal um, could be. Like this is our little one's normal, seeing masks at the store and not really seeing people outside of our own um, small social group, whatever that looks like for them. Yeah, what, what's the phrase? COVID babies who you know, haven't yeah. been held much by other, other than their, their most immediate family. Nicole, yeah. uh, you're kind of working with a similar age group and parenting situation. What's what's been your experience as you've gone through this? Um, well, the technology aspect. Oh yeah. Well, parents. Well, myself as a parent, I will say in the beginning it was an absolute mess because <laughs> my husband started working from home. I was working from home, and the girls had to do their virtual learning, and I it was it was impossible for me to work and get the girls on their Zoom calls and everything we had to do. So, you know, we kind of had to regroup and say, how are we going to do this? And there was a lot of emailing of their teachers saying, you know, if so-and-so is five minutes late for their Zoom call, it's because I'm on a Zoom call with my class. And at the time we didn't even have a laptop. My husband had his work laptop and we were sharing like a tablet and that was neat, you know, and the tablet wouldn't work half the time. So it was a big, so we had a big financial hit because we had to buy another computer and the school, you know, the school wasn't going to provide much of anything for us. They're like, you need to teach from home and your girls, my youngest didn't have a Chromebook because she was in first grade at the time, but my oldest had a Chromebook. But for my first grader, they were like, she needs to have something and I needed to have something. And it was kind of just a big, a big mess. But I feel like, you know, as a parent, I... I think I was really hard on myself because I was like, we have to be perfect. We have to get on every Zoom call. We have to do all our work. And then I let that go probably after a month and then it was okay. You know, we just kind of settled in. And then now, you know, well, and when we switched to virtual for my 4K class last year, that was kind of a big mess too, because having a classroom of 24 year olds on a Zoom call, I mean, you can just imagine how, how well that went. It did not, <laughs> I mean, they're falling out of their chairs, they're getting up, they're leaving. And their parents are working too, you know, and then the kid would just leave and then we're like, well, where did they go? And then they would stay on the call and we're trying to be like, can you get them back? And it was just, it was very, you know, it was very fun and very funny, but it was also, you know, it was frustrating because I'm like, we have to get through this, you know, this material. And then just even now this past year, thankfully we've been in person, but we've had a few times where we've had to do the quarantine where we'd have to leave for two weeks and then that would leave us 
making, I would have to make all of these packets our district required because we were like, we have to send something home with these students for two weeks. So I was making these packets that were literally inches thick and we have two classes, an AM and a PM class. So I was making packets for 43 students, you know, on a, on a half a day's notice because they say you're going virtual for two weeks. You need to have two weeks of material for your little 4K students. So that was, that's been tough too. And just the whole technology aspect. I am not a technology person. I have not had a lot of training because I just, I haven't needed it. But thankfully our district has been really good with helping us. Like over the summer, I did a lot of training and I will say I'm still pretty, not the greatest at it, but that's actually been a good thing because I definitely need, you know, need to know how to do everything on technology wise. So, but it's definitely been, been a big challenge. Uh, we're, we're, I should, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm just letting the people who are listening to this live know that in about five minutes, I'll open it up. If you have any particular questions, uh, and if you're live, you could also type them into the chat box. So at the bottom of your toolbar, you have a little thing that says chat, and you can type a question there. And then when you hit return, uh, all of us can see your questions. So that'll be another way we can kind of converse with each other as we do this. Julie, how about anything from this that you can see that's helpful long-term for either how you teach or how kids learn? Doesn't have to be a big part of it, but have there been little elements to it that uh, have struck you as productive? I mean, I definitely now feel my worth in the classroom is wow, very yep. different than I ever felt before, um, especially when kids come up to me and like actually say like, thank you, and I'm glad to be back in the room with you. I mean, it feels good, like especially when they get quarantined for 14 days and they come back and say, oh, this is so good to see you, like face to face. Um, I think one of the takeaways that I have that I do appreciate is when a student is sick, this is now giving me a tool. So if a student like breaks their leg and they have to be home for two weeks or something, because this has happened, I had a student skateboarding, did a doozy, and can't be walking for a while, but he is still connected. Where last year, if this would have happened, he couldn't maybe have been connected because we wouldn't have thought to do a Google Meet for him. Um, so I do, and, and students who are quarantined, it's not like I'm just disconnecting to them. They are still connected to the classroom. They are still being, in, Brady, not right now, buddy. <laughs> Here comes mine. Um, uh, they are still being connected. And I think that's been, you know, one of the takeaways that is going to be great moving forward is when kids, they have mono and can't come to school for a few days and we can still connect them to the classroom if they're feeling healthy enough, like not to make them feel like they have to connect, but if they want to connect. Um, even kids on vacation, like they're forced to go on a family vacation and they want, because they, I've had students who are now spring breaking and have said to me, Miss Petzl, is it cool that I join the Google Meet? Would you turn it on for me? Even though we're like technically not supposed to, it's supposed to be for quarantines only to give us sanity. Um, I'm like, sure, if you, if you come to me and say, I wanna learn while I'm in Florida, I'm gonna say join. Like I am excited that you want to take an hour out of your vacation to be part of my science class. Like that means the world to me. So I think like moving forward, I mean, we've, we've got to have some, we have some tools now that I think they're going to help us connect with kids differently when there are emergency situations or are unique situations. I mean, obviously in person, I clearly think is the best mode, 
but there's also a few students who I have one in particular I can think about who are going through a lot of emotional stuff and the classroom just isn't the best place for them. And this has also given them a tool to be at home and still also be successful. They're going through a lot. If it is a family emergency, if it's a personal crisis and school just isn't the safe place for them and they do need other support and they do need to be at home, giving them that chance to still be part of our school, but at home. I mean, the district has done a lot of stuff, even on spirit days, like this week we have spirit week and our Monday is called Google days. So you're supposed to be fancy on the top and sweatpants on the bottom. <laughs> and so the kids are supposed to dress like that. So even the kids at home can still like be virtually, because we do have a virtual class in every grade level. They can still participate. We're taking points on those things. I mean, I think there's been a lot of creative stuff creating fire that is created from teachers and from administrators working together to do some really neat stuff like this um, and moving forward I think it's going to help us definitely put a band-aid on some situations when they pop up so I'm I guess I'm looking forward to the future with that if that helps yeah no no I, I think that's a great example I mean I don't know many people who wouldn't say in person is better but it's cool to hear that there are a, a number of uh, exceptions where the technology might be really beneficial. Go for it, Sarah. Um, going off of what Julie said, I think it's really neat seeing classrooms this year, even with having at least one completely virtual classroom per grade level, that those students are still interacting in the classrooms. Um, the kids, um, they each get assigned an iPad with another student that's working from home, and they do classwork together, they read together, and so there's still some level of classroom interaction with their peers, even though their family is choosing to work from home. And I think that's kind of neat that you get to see somebody at home because, you know, I'm a homebody. If I get to work from home, you know, it's nice seeing somebody at home, even though I have to be um, where I need to be. Mm -hmm. um, hey, thinking of all of that, Caitlin, how about the, since you teach in high school, you're the one who deals with this most directly and I mean you all deal with standardized testing but you're dealing with it at least historically with the ACTs and things that are um, uh, the college prep stuff what's been the deal with all of that in the last uh, year both the, the the grade level standardized testing and the the college prep testing yeah so we actually just gave our juniors the ACT about two weeks ago, or maybe it was a week now. Um, so just juniors were in the building. Our freshmen, sophomores, and seniors had an asynchronous day working from home. So essentially, they had assignments to do and complete for a class, turn it in, and they were marked present for the day, but there was no actual time that we would meet on a Google Meet. Uh, but we actually gave our ACT on the computer, which is the first time that that's ever happened. It's historically been a paper-pencil type of test. And that's huge for just moving forward. Is that going to be something that will be offered? And I know that uh, my fiance actually teaches for Oconomowoc High School, and they also had the ACT, but they did that on paper and pencil. So having those options is big because I think that all of us would say that K through 12 education is always changing. There's always something new personalized learning, just so many different things that we're always adding and trying to make it better for our students. 
And I think that colleges and universities really haven't evolved at all. They've kind of just stuck with their ways. Now, obviously with the pandemic, they've moved to the offering virtual classes and virtual learning and whatnot. But I think that we could see, if we continue to see change with our standardized testing, like the ACT being offered on the computer, we could see some major changes with colleges and universities, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's certainly something I hadn't thought of, but the second you said it, I mean, that really education in college remains like what it was 40, 50 years ago in, in many respects. And um, a good opportunity to perhaps learn from what all of you are doing. Uh, uh, again, if you're listening to us live, if you want to uh, type a question or raise your hand, you could certainly break in with a question. Um, so here's one that just popped up. Uh, what COVID changes will become permanent once it's over? Uh, so if, for example, what might happen to snow days? Which, which of the four of you wants to take a shot at that? What might become permanent based on what we've experienced in the last year, if anything? I could hope staff meetings stay virtual. I'll be honest on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to completely say I love a virtual staff meeting. I think that's been the best part of it. I know our district said like this year we would have gotten if we, we did not get a snow day, which I feel like we're the only one to not have one. Um, but they said our first one would still be an actual snow day, but then we would be virtual for the rest. So um, maybe that will be a permanent change. I think also like some of the things, how they record for parents now, some of our meetings that like, like what they call pin night for like parent introduction night and some of those things now that they have the virtual components. So if parents do have, like say they work second shift and it's at school, they will at least be able to maybe log in and not miss it. So you'll have in person, but there'll be a virtual thing for the parents who do work second shift or do work on a different situation that they could still be part of it. I think giving options to families are going to be huge. I know our district is saying, at least right now I heard, they aren't gonna offer a virtual class next year. Like it's, that's not something that they're talking about, but having virtual opportunities for illnesses and for parent, even parent-teacher conferences moving forward that we might do parent-teacher conferences virtual because the parents actually loved it because they could log in from work log in from home to multi-parent families so if you had parents in multiple families also they could all be on the meet together which it was awkward but it it worked better for families this year so i think maybe those are some changes that will stick cool anything else nicole or sarah or caitlin that's a good list julie i mean that's a lot of fascinating stuff I'm sitting here, I can make eye contact with uh, Pastor Sherry and we, we might stick with uh, virtual staff meetings at church as, as well. We'll see how that evolves. Um, you know, who knows exactly what the future will bring, but I'd be interested, uh, why don't we start with, um, who haven't we started with? Uh, I don't know, Julie, did we ever actually start with you on one? How can, how can parents best support you right now as a teacher or in the next year or whatever that might bring? Wow. Um, that's a hard one. Um, I guess right now, like I'm expected to give grace to my students 
I'd like a little grace in return. Um, you know, like I, you know, if I don't log in, your kid is home and like, I don't have the Google meet open in the first two minutes of class. It's because I may be dealing with something in the first two minutes of class. And I actually had the office calling me saying, we have so-and-so on the phone that they said your meet isn't on for their student. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'm dealing with a situation in the hallway and like your kid will get in the meet. Don't worry. I, I just, I, I only one person. I can't clone myself. Um, so I guess just that. And like, also like I'm giving it my best. I am working. I've never like worked so late at night. I'm working 10, 11 o'clock every single night, trying to like keep up with grading, keep up with what I'm doing the next day, keeping my lessons entertaining and exciting. Um, I, so I think that's the biggest thing. And, and I understand that parents are stressed out. I mean, I'm living it with a son who's disabled. I mean, this has been the hardest year for us because my son turned 18. Uh, we had to go to court to become his guardians. I mean, usually this is all done face-to-face -face with the schools helping and none of it. I got no support because this all happened during COVID. So, I mean, thinking about like how I'm trying to support his teachers and support his special education staff as we move forward with him. I've even learned like, I need to do a better job when I send an email about giving them an extra week to maybe explain something to me because they're dealing with a lot. So I think it's just understanding everybody's under stress, everybody's under pressure, and it's, I guess, becoming a team more than working on islands. So even with parents, like if you're struggling at home, how can I support you? Maybe give me, you know, three ideas to help support you and help support your student um, so I can do better. Uh, I think that's just been the big thing. It's been often so parents at one team, at least in middle school, we don't have the parent involvement like the little ones usually get, especially when they're in seventh and eighth grade, because this is like the evil age, like everybody says. They always tell me like, there's a special place for you somewhere because you teach middle school. <laughs> and I've been teaching it for 23 years. So, um, you know, parents, this is 10, this is the age they often just say, take them, just take them. And I think we just got to do a more work together on helping this age be successful and finding out what works for them. Yeah, really well said. Yeah, I so, I mean, I respect all of you, but I, I respect so much somebody who's been teaching and parenting uh, through all of this. And I love what you opened with, just a little grace is a, a nice thing to offer to each other. Uh, Nicole, you're kind of at the other uh, end of the age spectrum. What could what could parents help you with or do for you as you work with their kids? Um, definitely the grace aspect has been a very big one because our parents, it's been very hard for them. It's been their, sometimes this is their baby going off to school and their expectations are sometimes a bit unrealistic and you know the no field trips and we can't leave the classroom and all these changes we've had to make you know of course the parents haven't been happy and we haven't been happy either but it's not you know it's not our choice and just to be more understanding of what our virtual field trips have been and how hard it's been to come up with an interesting virtual field trip that will keep the attention of these you know of these four-year-olds and just coming up with all the materials to send home. We've never really had to do something like that. So just racking our brains of things we can send home when we find out we've been quarantined and just all of these, everything is all new to us. And just for them to kind of understand we've never had to teach like this before. And we don't know how to teach four-year-olds virtually. That's kind of something that's new to us and it doesn't really work the greatest. And so when we've had to quarantine for two weeks, we're not gonna have a Zoom call every day because 
it just doesn't work when they're four. And then, you know, parents are like, well, we want, they want to see you every day. And how can we keep in touch with you when we have to quarantine and just kind of just offering us grace that we are, we're parents also, and we're doing the best that we can. And that's kind of all we can do right now. Caitlin, do you feel like from most of your parents, do you feel like you've gotten that grace or has it been really a struggle? And then I guess just in general, what, what can parents do at the high school level for their kids' teachers? I mean, I would say that our parents have been awesome this year. I, I felt very supportive throughout the entire year with our kids. And I mean, our kids have done a great great job and they're they're older so they you know they've really embraced things and I think Julie you had said that they that the kids really don't take things for granted and so I feel that and I feel like the parents are very appreciative of what the teachers are doing and I felt grace certainly from them and I think even so I coach cross country and soccer as well and so from a coach's perspective, parents have been super supportive of the rules that the WIA has out for our athletes to still allow them to play um, with some, you know, precautions for COVID and whatnot. But I, I do feel that there certainly has been grace and just that as long as that continues, it'll, it'll be good the rest of the year. Cool. Sarah, how about you on that particular question? Just... Uh, I know you're not teaching right now, but uh, if you were, what would be a blessing that parents could offer you as a teacher? Um, I think from the parents that are choosing to be virtual, which is completely fine, um, that just be very understanding um, and be more than willing to reach out with, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I know that was really helpful to me early on is, hey, this is what I'm seeing, or this is what my um, student's brother or sister is doing in their classroom. Like, could you do something like that? Because um, like, uh, at least from my perspective, um, the my staff members have always been more than willing to meet you at least halfway to make your students' educational experience, you know, the best that it can be, even in a tough situation. Um, for the families that are choosing to be in person, um, elementary-wise, I think it's still that level of understanding of what is okay. Um, I believe, um, at least the last I heard from this district of New Berlin, they don't have that many visitor opportunities, and so you can't drop by and visit your student at lunch um, or drop off things during the day usually. And like that's hard because um, it's different. And so still being understanding, but if there is the chance um, or if your um, educational professional is asking you um, to send pencils, like, you know, help your teacher out. Yep. Yep. Yeah, at church, we've, we've really appreciated that. Uh, I mean, you have to have some sort of operating principles and, and rules and, you know, everybody could uh, debate what they are, but I've really appreciated that people, for the most part, have have understood what's being asked and have tried to go with it. And just on a day-to-day -day operating basis, uh, kind of going back to Julie's idea of teamwork, I mean, that's <clears throat> that's part of it. Uh, finding a way to to make it make it work. Somebody in the chat box asked 
I, I think a really good question. Uh, what are you doing to keep your mental health strong? Um, probably something outside of school, although maybe not necessarily. Uh, that's a nice question for any of you to tackle. Anybody immediately have something pop into your head that has kind of kept you in perspective on things? <clears throat> Caitlin? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start talking within school. So uh, the very first parent-teacher conference day that we had, our school district wanted to try parent-teacher conferences on top of an asynchronous day on top of a professional development day. So meetings and teacher conferences on top of also dealing with kids and like, oh, we'll just see how it goes. And so that did not go well. Uh, it's very poor feedback from all the teachers for obvious reasons. And so since, since then, we have had just an hour and a half of professional development when we do have those PD days. And they always make sure that the first half hour does deal with mental health, whether it is a podcast that we're listening to, whether it's a video that we're watching, an article that we're reading, where we're taking time to really focus on that mental health and giving us ideas of things that we should be doing and just reminders that, hey, you know what, it's okay to, for you to leave your laptop at home tonight and not worry about school, not think about school. So for my school district, I've really appreciated that that has been a focal point of this year and in professional development. And I do hope that that's something that continues even when we're post-pandemic. Um, and I don't know, personally for me, I've got a dog, so I like to take him on a walk. I like to run, lift weights, that kind of stuff, just to stay, stay sane. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Some district let me start I guess two years ago now is speaking of dogs. This is my dog who comes to school every day with me. So my dog has been turned into a comfort dog. So Doug, who is sitting here right now, every time my computer's on, he shows up. Um, the school district thought it was a good idea just because kids were just showing mental health issues even a couple of years ago that I am married to a veterinarian. So he helped me train one of our Labradors to be a comfort animal. So he's in my classroom every day at school. And this year, the district has really taken that and like Doug, like he's actually allowed to free roam. So he can go like other teachers will take him in their rooms, even for their mental health. Like they'll come down and take him for a walk or have him come up to their room on their break and sit by them. Um, the principal, when students need mental health break and like he'll come and get the dog and bring him down to his office. Like he'll actually have what he calls, you know, uh, principal time. So he has his principal talk time and Doug is sitting in his office. So when kids want to come talk or teachers want to come talk, you feel a very positive environment because the dog's sitting there. So, I mean, our district is trying to get creative with some things like letting me try this whole dog experiment at school has been awesome. And like Doug is now a permanent staff member. He's in the yearbook, he's got his own badge. The students love it because they all can't wait to see him at school. And it's all about mental health. And it's not only helping staff members, it's helping students. Our police liaison has used him in two situations. So, I mean, I give our district a lot of credit for thinking outside the box with me when I came to them with this like crazy idea about, hey, what would you think about letting a dog be here every day? Because my daughter said at college, it's the best thing. She waits. UW-Madison has a fleet of eight dogs that travel all around campus for mental health purposes. And she always would tell me that was the best part of the day is when the dogs would be near her dorm or near her apartment and she'd make a bolt 
to go visit the dogs. And I'm like, hmm, if this can work there, I wonder if it would work here. And it's working. So I think that's one of the best ways I've, like you said, with a dog, it's not only helping me mentally, it's helping a lot of students and a lot of teachers. Oh. For those of you listening on the podcast, we uh, Julie held up a picture of Doug <laughs> at the beginning oh. of that and an adorable black lab. So uh, what, a, what a truly great idea. And you're right. How cool that, that your district is willing to like experiment with that. That's an awesome thing. Hey, we're kind of running to the, the end. I, I think maybe a good place for, for each of you to reflect on as we wrap up is as you look back on this year now, this is a huge overgeneralization, but just in general, how, did, how have you done personally and how have most of your students done? I don't know how you answer that in a minute or two, but take a shot at it. Uh, Nicole, are you willing to take a shot at that first? Um. Sure, I would definitely say this year I probably have grown more in my professional and personal life and as a mother than I ever probably would have. And obviously I didn't see it as a blessing before, but now of course I do because it's just helping me be a better mother, a better teacher, just better person all around. Just everything we've had to deal with um, at home, at work. It's definitely making me a better teacher. I feel like I have loads of more patience and all the little things that the students used to do before, I don't even notice anymore because I'm like, I'm so happy we're here. I mean, because when we had to go virtual last spring, it was just, it was so heartbreaking. So just every day that I'm in the classroom with these kiddos, I'm just, I'm happier to be there than I ever was before because I just kind of took my job for granted that I was going to work every day. And now I just feel like I'm never gonna do that ever again. So I've definitely grown a lot more in this year than I ever would have before. Hey Sarah, how about how about you? Uh, thinking of the last year, how do you do, and how do you think kids have done? Um, I know for myself personally, I've grown a lot in my level of understanding um, of a lot of different situations that I never would have seen, um, or even from different families. Um, you really get to see more into their personal life um, when you're not face-to-face, -face, when you're um, streaming into their home. Um, I guess for my kids, like, um, I think they've grown in the way of perseverance, um, having to take this challenge, um, so many challenges that they've had to do within the past year, two years. Um, and they've become better people. Um, fourth grade in particular, I've always said that um, they kind of come in as these like, uh, like young little children, but like by the time they're at the end of fourth grade, beginning of fifth grade, um, they're like little young adults and they want to be treated that way. And so it's always been fun seeing that progression um, within my fourth graders and, you know, um, even our youngest learners, they've always risen to the challenge and like they are succeeding. They're succeeding, level of succeeding might look different, but our learners are succeeding even with the difficult times that we're experiencing. Cool. Hey Caitlin, how about you? Uh, how's the year ultimately been for you and how do you think it's been for uh, Either most of your students, or how has it been, good or bad, for maybe 
um, some of your students? So I think biggest takeaway for me is the level of trust in the classroom is awesome, super, super awesome. I think that a lot of times when you think about a teacher and students, there's this authoritative figure. And oftentimes that's true. I mean, you're the person who is coming up with what the lesson is going to be, kind of directing where the class is going to go. But, and you know, when kids look to you, they're looking for answers. You know, you're the person who has all the answers. And I think that during the pandemic, I don't have the answers. And so I felt very on this very even, even, playing field with the students in regards to the pandemic and that we truly are going through this together and I don't have the answers but we're going to figure it out together and so I think professionally for me students have come up with ideas that they want to try in the classroom that are related to the pandemic like let's try this and I've been way more open to trying those things and it's resulted in some really cool things within the classroom and so I've been very thankful for that. Awesome. Hey, Julie, I'll, I'll give you the last word. How's, oh how's it? Well, yeah, no pressure, no pressure. Um, <laughs> but how's the year ultimately been for you and when you think of uh, kids for them? I mean, I think back sitting at my table March 16th, sticks out in my head when my daughter was sitting there looking at me, my son was sitting there looking at me, I was looking at my spring break falling apart and crying a lot and I think I cried a lot this last year I mean there was more tears than I've ever had but I think it made my family stronger um, my husband saw me in a new light as a teacher my parents who were both educators um, my community saw somebody who a little bit of fragile like need support and I took support and it helped me grow and I think it really put me in a different light and it's even now I see I have talents I didn't know I had. I am now looking to the future, like considering teaching college, which I don't think I ever would have thought, but this year kind of gave me a fire going, maybe I can do it. I look at watching my daughter do college online now for you know seeing her come home and do Madison's classwork here. I'm like, you know what? I could maybe do what they're doing. So it's like opening doors for me that I didn't think I'd maybe want to open. So I think like, I, if you talk about growth, the growth has been huge the fire has been changed. The fire inside me has been changed a little bit. My compassion for my fellow teachers, fellow parents and my students has, has never been greater. And I think the kids in the end, I know we talk about like how this has all changed them. I think this has changed in the end, we're gonna see a lot of positive. They're gonna learn how to be fighters. They're gonna learn how to be a little more sticking up for themselves, being a little more proactive. I think a lot of kids have learned how to ask a teacher for help who didn't know how or maybe were afraid to because they've had to because they've been on virtual or they've been on a zoom and they wouldn't have done it before but now that they can type it in the chat that little baby step of typing the message to me and now the next time they raise their hand then the next time they actually turned on their mic I mean I feel it's all gonna come full circle and I think we're gonna have stronger youth than we've ever seen and i'm really excited for that i think education i think teachers even though they're tired i think they are going to come out of this being better educators and i think our educational system in the next five years you're going to see a lot of great things happen well what a what a good place to end it um you know one of the things we talk about as as people of faith is that of course some of the things that we do in and through
true church or how we live our faith. Uh, but I think, especially in the Lutheran tradition, it's always been the sense that what you do in your daily work life is such an expression of faith. And honestly, I can't think of people who have been more in the midst of that and living it out than teachers in this last year of, of somehow um, remaining calm, of somehow accepting help, uh, offering help, changing, and, and trying to, to recognize the example you set and also uh, the team you're a part of. I mean, all of those things are, are at some level an expression of our faith. And I'm just, uh, I feel like we're really blessed to have the four of you connected to our faith community, a lot of other teachers, and a lot of teachers in our world who have uh, so been there for other people in this last year. So uh, again, thank you so much to, to Caitlin, to Julie, uh, to Sarah and Nicole for being our guests on this particular episode. And if you've been listening in, I hope you've left with both some things you didn't know about and maybe some things that inspire you going forward. This has been Belief Beat. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye for now. <laughs>